Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Today, I'm talking school choice with Elizabeth Grace Matthew. She is a writer and a Young Voices contributor. Elizabeth, like I was saying beforehand, you have a lot of things in your bio, and so I'm going to let you tell everyone the the rest of it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a a former academic, now a full-time writer, and also an editor. Um, I spent about a decade, a little more than a decade, teaching writing in the academy, freshman writing, business writing, Um, all kinds of writing, except maybe creative writing, Um, as well as teaching literature and uh, leadership theory and communication theory and some other um, interesting courses in the academy. I ran a program that taught leadership and communication, an online program at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, before that, I was teaching writing in a business school. So I've been um, writing editing full-time for less than a year now. So it's been a great transition. Um, Being a Young Voices contributor has been wonderful and um, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yeah, so I was uh, reading your your piece in the Post Gazette. I wanted to mention also I'm the I'm the son of a English language arts teacher. Uh, she's been teaching for a long time, and so uh, now I know that I need to be on my best behavior right now. Uh, so you're not paying too much attention to all of the <laughs> terrible ways I'm going to botch the language here here in a little bit, but. It's not gonna, not it's at happen. all. You know, speaking and writing are not the same. You know, it's true. It's very true. Uh, all right. So you have a piece called "The Wealthy Have Always Had School Choice, Poorer People Deserve It Too." Why don't you give us the the basic idea there? So those of us that have the resources to live where we want, whether that means voting with our feet to live in a school district that we find best for our children, or whether it means paying for parochial or private school, as I do. Uh, for my children, of whom I have three. Um, Regardless of which tack we choose, right, whether to go to public schools in a place where we like the public schools or whether we go to private or parochial school or a charter school that we can get into, those of us that have resources that are able to either pay the money to live somewhere or pay the money for tuition, we've always exercised that freedom. 
it's the people that are stuck in school districts where they are not pleased with the outcomes of the schools and do not have the capacity to either move elsewhere or pay for a private school. So a lot of people in Philadelphia, for example, are on waiting lists for scholarships to attend parochial or private schools. And that's the case in many cities. So it's those people who have the highest needs and the fewest resources often who wind up stuck in districts they don't want to be in. Yeah, the the really confusing part about this is uh, you're, you know, we're already paying taxes towards the schools and it feels like that should be your money to do with as you please. Now, I'm very libertarian, so I could take that uh, I could take that all the way to its conclusion there. It should be your money to do with as you please, but it seems more like, and not to steal lines from people like Corey DeAngelis or whatever, but we're funding systems and not the actual students. Because if you want to have your kid go to another place, well, you are paying taxes, and that's supposed to be paying for your kid's education. So are you actually uh, funding your child's education, or are you paying into whatever the public school system is? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, obviously, you could complexify it a little bit, because folks that don't have children at all still pay you know, trust me, I, I, too. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that it maybe isn't quite that cut and dry necessarily, but it is definitely true that we are spending an enormous amount of money per child in a city like Philadelphia, where you've got thousands of people that want to get out of the public school system. And so you are funding that system rather than funding what those parents believe is best for their children. And if you were to put even a fraction of that money behind each child so that each child could make a choice as to where they go to school, as many states are now doing in various ways, whether through tax credits or education savings plans, each of which are overwhelmingly popular, right, with um, people in both political parties. So if you were to do that, you would be doing a much better job of funding the students, Um accessing the kind of education that their parents want them to have. Now, the argument is that that is going to destroy the public schools when the students decide to go to a better school. To me, it's a terrible argument because you're saying, well, you want to get away from the school. Uh, If you leave, that's going to hurt us. So you just have to stay here and, and keep giving us your money and getting terrible education. But is it true that if the students leave, the school's just going to going to fall apart if, if you take your kids somewhere else? I think even to the extent that that's a reasonable claim, right? Obviously, the more people leave a community, the fewer resources it might have. That's already what's happening, right? So everybody that can leave certain places does leave. And then the people who are there are trapped. So what I don't think is fair about it, right, is that unless you're going to mandate that everyone must attend public school, which isn't reasonable, right, Mm. Um, or legal, uh, you already have this problem, right? Everybody that has the resources to leave does. And so why is it fair to essentially make this a regressive tax on the people who can least afford it to remain in a place they don't want to be in while everybody that can afford it leaves when it's supposed to be a public good? Yeah. Um, how much of this do you think comes, how much of this opposition is just coming from teachers unions who, from what I can see, that's who it, who it actually hurts the most? I definitely think that is a lot of it. Um, given the overwhelming support for school choice among both political parties at this point, I mean, Republicans, it's, it's up a, 
well into the 80 percentile. And even among Democrats, it's well over two thirds. And so I think that it's definitely the case that a lot of the opposition is more political than popular, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think that this idea that the rich can, uh, the rich or even people who are just better at managing their money or more comfortable, I mean, it's, uh, I guess, not right to just say rich, uh, that, you know, they can send their kids to a private school or like what you mentioned, they can move into a district that has a better school. Charlie, the co-host over here, he is not paying for his kid to go to a private school, but he bought a house in a district. Uh, same house probably would have been the cost of my house less if he would have gone into my district. Uh, but instead, he went into the best school district in the state of Tennessee so, so his kid could go there. And that kind of stuff is tough to quantify. And you also can't make that illegal. You can't t- tell people that they can't move into that district. Uh, and so that's just not going to work. So uh, I would... I would hope that people on the, I could say on the left, that are a little bit more sensitive to that fairness uh, between the rich and the poor would be able to jump on, uh, jump on this as a solution. And we see that they actually are around the country right now. Yeah, a lot of them really are. And that's really heartening to see because I think that COVID also really helped to accelerate people's understanding of just how much bureaucracy and judge how much systemic um, misinvestment and disinvestment there really has been. And, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around to everyone for that. But I think a lot of people really saw it much more starkly during COVID. You know, you're in a school district where the test scores are falling, your student's not in school at all, and you really can't do anything about it because of where you live and that you don't have the resources to go to private or parochial school. In Philadelphia, the parochial schools picked up numbers of students for a few years in a row after many years of losing them, partly because many of them remained open during COVID and many of them also um, did not see the kind of uh, falling test scores that a lot of their public counterparts saw. So I think that a lot of people on the left are becoming more, you know, they're, they're seeing how much of a problem it is not to have school choice, and they're becoming more okay with the idea of having it. I still hear people making the argument that, uh, well, our schools aren't performing well, that's just because we're not investing in them properly. And uh, people even say that we've been cutting funding, which I, I see no evidence for that whatsoever. Um, is there any credibility to the argument saying that we just aren't properly investing in our public schools? I think that it's certainly reasonable to say that funding isn't being used as best as it could be used, right? I think that um, not just on the right where, you know, it might be it's being used inefficiently, but also there are those on the left who would say it's being used incorrectly, right? You're building new gyms, but you're not putting money into instructional materials. I think there's reasonable arguments to be made on all sides of that. But I also would say that more money over many years has not fixed this problem, right? And there are a lot of school districts where the per-pupil spending is quite a bit higher than it is in, say, many parochial schools where it doesn't seem to yield results that parents would like to see. So I think, um, you know, that's not a way to, to solve this issue. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about y'all, but I'm my best self when I'm doing things I truly care about, like this show. 
day trading, spending time with my family. But when I get overwhelmed, I have a tough time doing those things, even when I know I need to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to that best version of you. Because when you feel confident and empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life is throwing at you. I'm one of the many people who have benefited from therapy, by the way. It helped me filter through all the noise, get down to the root cause of my problems so I could actually solve them and move on. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Yeah, I um, I have a joke that I, I say sometimes that if I were to give 100 grand to a school, they would hire an administrator to f- decide how to spend the extra five. And, uh, and that's basically what would be done with the money, from what I can tell. The amount of administrators and the uh, assistant to the administrators and assistant vice, assistant principals and, and all of that. Now, you could, you could say, well, we'll have a law that says you can't do this. But on the private, in the private sector, in, the, in those schools, you don't have to have a law. You just have to have competition. And that's actually, you know, they don't waste the money. It doesn't seem like they do. I don't know all the numbers, but it does seem like they're actually spend less per student, like what you were saying, uh, than the public schools do. And that's actually just because they need to compete for that. While the public schools, they really have a almost a monopoly that people are trying to protect, right? To some extent, I do think that's true. I also would say that, a lot of those extra hires, those assistant deans and principals and all of those things that can look really inefficient um, are also done with the best of intentions, right? I think that in a lot of cases, it's because you have very high need students in these schools and the supports that the school offers while hiring extra administrators won't actually necessarily fix the problem as we've seen folks want to fix the problem. And so they do what they think will fix the problem. And in fact, you're just increasing inequality, right? Because the people that can leave, leave and the people that can't stay. And so the average student in the school is somebody of even higher needs than would have been the case if that student also had other options. So that's part of why I think that school choice is such a great solution because you would be creating um, more equality at the starting gate, right? Everybody would have the opportunity to go somewhere that they wanted to go so that then you maybe wouldn't have some of these mistaken solutions um, that don't solve the problems that they're looking to solve. Oh, I definitely, um, I don't mean to attribute any type of, uh, any type of ill intentions to, I, I know really great people uh, not just in my family, but of friends who are even administrators at at some of these schools. And in fact, I know of some of them that are going to be listening to this interview because they have some of the jobs that I was jokingly listing out. And uh, and and people still uh, want to protect these, uh, want to protect the schools or the systems. Or it really becomes this moving train that becomes really hard to stop. You know, once it gets going, and uh, and. Even there are even people inside that that don't know exactly what to do to solve the problem. Have you followed? Did you hear about this issue in Baltimore, the public schools? I was going to ask you about that. That 
zero students in 23 different schools uh, are proficient in math, and 93% uh, of third through eighth graders tested below grade level in math. And uh, they also have a massive $1.6 billion budget from 2022, 21,000 per student. And I'm still told that uh, investing properly in these schools is what's going to solve the problem, right? Yeah, I think there's no question that throwing more money at this problem is not a way to fix it. Um, and I think that investing the money correctly, right, would have been potentially a way to at least ameliorate it if we had done it quite some time ago, right? But now we're in a situation where, as you say, the numbers in the situation are so dire that so many children have already been left behind. It's now almost two thirds, I think 65% nationwide of fourth graders that are not reading on grade level. And so when you have a situation like that, it's imperative, you know, we need solutions now. It can't be that, well, if we figured out how to use the money correctly and we could, you know, 15 years from now and 20 years from now, I don't think that that's reasonable given the students that need help right now. And so I absolutely agree with you that some degree of competition makes a lot of sense. And again, the reason that a lot of parochial schools, which are not funded in the way that some of the more cushy, you know, private schools are, did quite well in terms of um, test scores during, during COVID, when a lot of other schools didn't, was because they were able to be a little bit more responsive to parents and communities that actually were in the schools and knew what their kids needed and wanted. The other thing I'll say too is that coming out of higher education, ideas about how to do things like teach reading and math change with research from the higher ed sector. And theory and implementation are not always exactly aligned, right? So something could work extremely well in theory and people intend for it to work, but then when it's actually attempted in a classroom, it doesn't work quite so well. So phonetic teaching of reading is a proven method that works, right? Mm. Other approaches just don't work as well, even if maybe they could work and even if conditions were perfect, but conditions are never perfect. And so what works in imperfect conditions should really be something we take into consideration. Could I could I uh, ask you, you know, you talk about uh, phonetic, that being uh, something that we know works. What are some of the other styles that uh, that people are doing? Right. I, I read a little bit about them, but I, I know I would I would mess it up. Um, what else are we trying out there? So just to be clear, I'm, you know, I'm no literacy mm. expert per se, but, you know, I have kids I've taught to read and I, I was an English teacher. So I saw some of the results of of what is done. There, there are a couple things. One is that we don't um, necessarily focus on phonics because there's other approaches that kind of all fall under the bucket of what's considered a whole language approach, which is that kids will obtain literacy by being read to and by reading. Now, that may be very true for a lot of children that have a lot of books in their home, that have adults that are reading to them quite a bit. I think that absolutely does work under those conditions. But if you are a student in one of the highest needs schools, it is unlikely to be the case that you have that kind of undivided attention from adults because the adults in your family probably 
are out working quite a bit and they don't have the kinds of schedules that allow them to spend that focused time with you. You also probably don't have dozens of books in your house so that you can keep obtaining words through, um, you know, through various books that you're looking at and reading. Maybe you don't have an adult to take you to libraries in the afternoons and your schools themselves don't have the number of books that would make this possible. And so that approach while it sounds great and gentle and it doesn't require the kind of boredom of sounding words out that would work for some kids just doesn't work for everyone. Whereas phonics, you're giving people a tool so that when they encounter books, they know how to decipher words in a systematic way. And that really does even the playing field. It really helps students that don't have access to endless books to learn this other way to learn as well as they can. Did you go through, uh, I guess, just on a personal note, did you go through this, uh, this common core math, uh, transition, you know, like with your kids, I remember, uh, talking to my mom and she's like, Oh, I got to switch over to teaching this thing. And we were watching, we were, I don't know, I guess I can say this, whatever. We were watching YouTube videos on common core math. She's been teaching for 20 years before this. And, uh, and she's trying to watch all this, all this new stuff. And, uh, you know, I get, once you learn a specific way, it's tough to switch over to this new one. And uh, I've always thought that whole thing was weird because the way that they teach math in the, the Common Core or whatever is how I naturally do it in my head all the time. So it works out really well. But um, is that maybe not working as well in practice, you think? You know, that's such a great question. And I am so out of my depth here. I will admit that math was not my strong subject. Yeah. So to me, I look at my second graders math homework and it does not make a lot of sense, but my son has much higher mathematical aptitude than I do. <laughs> and so you probably do as well. And so for you, uh, math people, it actually seems to work quite well. Um, I don't know if my younger kids will have similar aptitude. And so then I may be able to engage it on a more personal level. Um, but for now, he's doing okay without my help. So I'm kind of staying out of it. That's good. Looking out right there then. <laughs> That's good. Um, I wanted to finish up with some of the good news. You know, we talked about some of the problems going on, but we are we are seeing school choice be adopted throughout the country. You mentioned a couple um, in this uh, in this article and I was uh, telling you beforehand, I, I saw that Tennessee and Idaho uh, also look like they're moving forward some school choice bills. So there is good news, right? I think so. Absolutely. I think this really is an area where there's a tremendous amount of agreement across political parties, which is something that on such a hot button issue is pretty rare. And when you have something like that, it's a great moment to capitalize on. Great, great. Well, I think we uh, we can end it with something positive, like things are looking up and we, uh, you know, this is moving about throughout the country and and it's something that a lot of people agree on and we don't find that uh, all too often these days. So uh, I, I really want to want to thank you for coming on today and putting up with some of my ridiculous questions as it relates to some of these things. But um, could you tell everyone what else are you working on right now and, and where can people go to follow uh, new pieces as you're putting them out? Thank you so much. Um, I am on Twitter at Elizabeth G. Matt, M-A-T, and um, you can find pieces there. I write quite a bit on culture, religion, books, um, as well as education issues. Great. I'm going to put uh, links to everything in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and we would love to have you back on again.
I would love to come back on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.